Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Pharaoh and Satan try to discourage or take the heart out of us, but how God tries to encourage or put the heart in us. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Lord, we pray today because we're so dependent on you. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need you to open the eyes of our understanding, Lord, to cause us to see what others cannot see, Lord, to cause us to see with the help of the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in your spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us, we pray now, as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 1, we'll just refresh in our minds to set the scene, let the Bible set the scene for us here as we start reading in verse 8 of Exodus 1. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass, when there falleth out any war, they join themselves also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service when they made them serves was with rigor. Now, we're in a section here in Exodus which deals with Pharaoh's tactic against the Jewish people. One word to describe that tactic, discouragement. In our last study, we saw from verse 10 that Pharaoh had a goal, and that's written this way. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. That's it, right there. Those three words, lest they multiply. Pharaoh's goal in what he was doing was summed up is that he set out to do whatever it took to keep them from expanding as a people, keep them from multiplying. Now, that's the important part to see is that that's what he was after. Whatever was done, he wanted to accomplish this goal to keep them from multiplying. We saw further from verse 11 that Pharaoh, with his goal, had a strategy or a tactic. The strategy is expressed in the word to afflict them, to afflict them. So again, his goal is to keep them to multiply. His strategy was to afflict them. And that's what it says in verse 11. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burden. So Pharaoh's strategy was also to enlist the whole of the Egyptian people into his tactic, so to speak, which was to afflict them or cause them to be depressed. The word afflict is very, very interesting because it's the word ana. And ana in Hebrew is the word that means to push down, to look down on, to despise, to 
separate yourself from and then to look at someone as inferior. And it has as its root the word depress. It's a very interesting word because it's the same word that was used about the Lord Jesus Christ in that famous chapter, Isaiah 53, where it describes the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4 of Isaiah 53 with these words, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's our word. He was ana. We did esteem him. We saw him that way. It's the same word that's used. You know, we like to look at these different uses of the word to get a feel for how the word is, what the word means. It's the same word that was used to describe Diana, in who was the daughter of Jacob, when it says in Genesis 34, 2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, that would be Diana, Jacob's daughter, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. That's the word Anna. He put her down. Now, Pharaoh tried to Anna. He tried to put down. He tried to depress the Jewish people with a life of slavery so that they would come to the conclusion that it was just no use to have children. Why have children and bring them into this terrible life of slavery? So what Pharaoh was doing, first his goal was to keep them to multiply. His strategy was to enlist the Egyptian people to do his work, to depress them. And his tactic was to have them build these two cities. And so that's what he did. Now, what's so important for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to look beyond what's just here and to see the application for us. This is a history that we're studying. I don't use the word story. It's not a story. It's a history of what happened to the Jewish people. It's a history of God's intervention into the history or the lives of the Jewish people. That's the history. But we're not just historians as we study this. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, earnestly looking for, actively seeking the application of what this means to me. So when we look at a person like Pharaoh, and we see that he used the strategy of discouragement to try to get the Jewish people just to give up, we see beyond the person of Pharaoh to the person who was motivating Pharaoh to do that, which is our chief enemy as well, the devil or Satan himself. And we understand that Satan uses the same strategy of discouragement to try and get us to do what Pharaoh was trying to get the Jewish people to do, just give up out of discouragement. So we can say, and we see here, that Pharaoh is the God in this particular place. Pharaoh was like the God of discouragement in this picture. We see that Satan is the God of discouragement. And so if Satan is the God of discouragement, then God Elohim, God Adonai, God Jehovah, God Jehovah Jesus is the God of encouragement. It's incumbent on us and we want to be like him. And in being like him, we want to be about our father's business. So what's our father's business? Our father's business is to encourage because he's a God of encouragement. So that means that we should be encouraging others. And in order to do this, we need to understand what is discouragement? 
and what is encouragement. Now, the best way that I always think of to understand what discouragement is and what encouragement is, is that it really came clear to me when I was in high school in Switzerland in a French boarding school. And there is when I learned what the words were for encouragement and for discouragement and what the word is in French for heart. Now, the French word for discourage is décourager, and in that word, there is the French word for heart, which is the word cœur. Cœur is the word for heart. So the word décourager literally means to take out, dé, to take out the heart, décour. So to take out the heart, décourager, that provides a very graphic description of what it means to discourage. It means to take the heart out of. A discouraged person is a person that doesn't have a heart. It's a person who's a lifeless and he has no heart, no passion. He's just like flesh, just like a lump of flesh. Now he may go through the motions of what he's expected to do, but his heart's not in it. And so since his heart's not in it, we would say he is de-hearted or he is disheartened or he is découragé. So if the devil can discourage you and can discourage me, what he has done, and he's taken our heart out of what we are doing, then with the heart out, he has the opportunity to sink people down, to depress them down, to the next state of mentality and discouragement is fatalism. Fatalism, and when the person has been pushed down by the devil into a state of fatalism, then the devil has been effective in neutralizing him for doing anything for God. Why? Because when God says, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, ask and you shall receive, he's talking about seek with your heart, And he's talking about ask with your heart. And he's talking about knock with your heart. Your heart has to be in it. And then you receive and then it's open to you and it's given to you if your heart's in it. And so when the devil discourages, he removes the heart. So therefore, he gets a person neutralized from receiving anything from God. Now, by contrast, the French word for encourage is the same, really. It's encourager, and literally it means to put heart into. With that in mind, that's why discouragement is such a powerful tool of the devil. The devil uses discouragement. And that's why we see Pharaoh here using this tool of discouragement against the Jewish people. That's why we saw in Isaiah 53, 4, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil, used on him the tool of discouragement, the ana, to afflict him. That's so valuable for us to consider because it talks about our Lord Jesus Christ as our great high priest, as the one who has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. And one of the great feelings of our infirmity is the feeling of discouragement. He has been touched with the feeling of our discouragement. Therefore, he is able to help those who have been touched with the feeling of discouragement. Why? Because he's been through it himself. But if we think of how powerful the tool of discouragement is for the devil, the tool of encouragement makes us think 
of the power that God has given to us and wants us to use in encouraging others. Now, that's something we need to be thinking about through the day. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as followers of the God of encouragement, we need to be looking for opportunities to encourage others. Where is my opportunity today to encourage someone? There's people all around us who have a great, great need of having heart be put into what they're doing, of being encouraged. And that's our job, and that's what we can do. So God was calling us to be little encouragers as we go through our lives, watching others that we come in contact with during the day, calling out what is praiseworthy in what they're doing, and then telling that person how we noticed and how we've come to appreciate or how we appreciate what they're doing. That's what we do when we encourage someone. We put heart into them. And that's what God wants us to do with others around you, to encourage them. It's so important. That's why when God looked at Joshua as he was ready to go out and do the great work of causing the Jewish people, to inherit the land. Moses had come and was finishing his chapter in the history of the Jewish people. He had brought them up out of Egypt. He had brought them through the Red Sea. He had brought them to Mount Sinai. He had brought them to God and the key to having friendship with God through the tabernacle. He had brought them through the wilderness and had shown them how God had provided for them during 40 long years with the manna coming down from the sky and every day. And Moses had been a faithful teacher and showing them this was God, this was Jehovah Jesus who was doing all this for them. Moses had done all that. Now Joshua, who had uh, grown up, so to speak, in the ranks there, was now ready to take over the reins. And so it's interesting, and if you put yourself in Moses' position, and you ask yourself the question, what would God say to me if I was Moses? And I'm ready to turn over the responsibility of bringing the Jewish people through to cause them to inherit the land, not to fail, not to be destroyed by their enemies, not to sink into sin there. So what would be important? Well, what was important for Moses to say to Joshua was recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 138, first chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the great rehearsing. And so what God told Moses is recorded for us in Deuteronomy 138, where it says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, it's God speaking to Moses, he shall go in thither. God was telling Moses he wasn't going in. And then God said, Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it, land. In that verse, we see how God first told Moses before anything else in his dealing with Joshua to encourage him, put heart into him. And then he told Moses why Joshua needed encouragement. Because it was Joshua that was going to be 
alone causing the Jewish people to inherit the land. And therefore, above everything else, God told Moses, encourage him. Later on in Deuteronomy 3.28, God told Moses, but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So in this verse, we see how God told Moses to, again, encourage, and then he used the word strengthen. Encourage and strengthen Joshua. Just think of God telling Moses, Moses, put heart into Joshua. Put passion into Joshua. Go encourage him. Now, it was very important. A very, very powerful motivator, encouragement is. So just like God told Moses to encourage Joshua, we can hear God saying to us today, husbands, encourage your wives. Wives, encourage your husbands. Parents, encourage your children. Children, encourage your parents. Friend, encourage your friend. Everyone needs encouragement. So how do you encourage? How do you encourage somebody? How do you put heart into someone, especially someone who is disheartened by telling them two things? First, that you have noticed specifically what they are doing. And that goes a lot longer than just saying something like, good job. Because when you say good job, that could be about anything. It's not being specific. But I saw this, and that really impressed me. And I just wanted to tell you how much that impressed me. What a good job. See, that makes all the difference, to be specific. And next, tell them why it's a good job. It's a good job because I've seen how much it helps others, for example. That requires time and thoughtfulness. It's not just something you can just uh, flip off the top of your mind because the first thing a person does when he hears that is he puts it through the sincerity analyzer and he asks the question, how sincere is that person when he says that? First of all, is that a person that is just normally just saying things off the top of his head? Or is that kind of a person that I think of as thoughtful and reflective and really analytical? Because when it comes from a person who is thoughtful and analytical and really observant, it means so much more. Because then you know that person has taken the time to really observe and come to this conclusion of good job. That's encouragement. That's what it means to encourage. But what about the times when you and I really need to be encouraged and there is no person to encourage us? What about those times? Or worse than that, when everyone around us is discouraging us, not encouraging us, but discouraging us. How about those times? Now, that's certainly the case here with regard to Pharaoh, because when we look at this case here with Pharaoh, he had been successful in his strategy, as we saw by the word they, in verse 11. So now we got all the Egyptian people who are doing nothing less than discouraging the Jewish people. It applies to us during the times when there is no one encouraging us and when, in fact, everyone around us is discouraging us. 
What's the Bible's solution for that situation? Well, the Bible, thank God, does provide us a solution to that situation, and it's provided to us in another history so that we can get involved in this history, see it, feel it, and then walk right in the shoes of the person who faced that and overcame it. So turn, if you would, to 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, and please follow along here as I read these six verses. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, and they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This was the most discouraging time in David's life. It's been an emotionally draining time, like a roller coaster. David and his men at this time were aligned with the Philistines. And it had been the Philistine king, Achish, who persuaded his people that David and his men should not be killed, but that they had really turned against. And so... The Philistines were on their way to do battle with the Jewish people, and King Saul was the king over them. Who knew what was in David's mind? What was he thinking? He couldn't kill his own Jewish people. He already had made it very clear there's no way that he would put his hand against God's anointed Saul. What was he thinking? And here he is aligned with the Philistines, who at any moment with their army could have turned and started a battle with David and his 600 men. What was David's men thinking also? They left their wives and their children back in Ziglag. There they are going there with the Philistine people. What an emotional time. They're on their way talking about slaughter and killing their own brethren, the Jewish people, aligned with their enemies. Their wives and their children are back in the city of Ziklag. What an emotional roller coaster this all was going on. And what happened in the middle is that on the way to the battle, the Philistines said to the king, he can't come with us. And they spoke against him, and maybe they felt at that time that this whole thing is going to go from bad to worse, as we may have to now turn and fight for our lives. And the Philistines persuaded Achish, the king, to send David back. What are his people thinking? What are David's people thinking? They're thinking to themselves, what kind of a waste of time has this been? What are we doing? We're going, then we're not going, and they're coming back. And after that, we can only imagine how David and his men were already emotionally drained. They were adrenaline out as far as the emotion and the roller coaster was concerned. And as they're approaching back home to Ziklag, we can just imagine who saw, we don't know, the first sight, but what passed in front of them as they 
saw smoke rising from ashes. That was their city. That was where their wives were. That's where their children were. The Amalekites had invaded Ziklag, their place where their families were. And all they saw was just heaps of ashes of what had been a city and smoke rising from it. And we can just well imagine how the site, when they first got a glimpse of that, how they must have run with all of their might to those heaps of ashes and wondering, are we going to find the bones of our wives, the bones of our children? And then they realize they've been taken captives. Why? Only one reason, to abuse them and then to murder them. Because once they knew it was the Amalekites that had done this, then that was very specific for them. The Amalekites and the Jewish people, they have a history that goes way back. They remember how God had instructed Moses, and he told Moses, who then told Joshua, that when you come in contact with the Amalekites, you completely destroy them. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's message, and if you'd like a free download, please go to friendshipwithgod.org to download a free copy of this message or any other materials that we have. That's friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. You can also call us at 1-800-247-3051, and we can help you to order any Tom Cantor resources or materials, including this month's resource by Tom Cantor and his acclaimed book called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and the Future of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. This wonderful book is something you've never seen before as it exposes the past, present, and future of the Jewish people. It's great for any Christian or Jewish believer, so call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at this same time.